so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. Be announcing very soon uh, a new. Is the fire alarm going off? Did we get an email saying the fire alarm is going to go off? What is that? <laughs> and Lifeway is like, yes. You got it. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where every week we're talking about our work here at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester and with me in the studio today, as always, are my co-hosts, Lindsay Nicolay. Hello, holla at ya. That was fantastic. <laughs> and Brent Leatherwood. Hello from America. As opposed to all the other times you've been saying hello from not America? No, but I mean, our our uniquely American identity should shine forth this week with the beginning of the 2020 Olympics taking place in 2021. That's right. <laughs> That's right, man. Go America. It's a big part of the culture section this <laughs> Go week. So, USA. I mean, you need to, you know. Yes, I love Olympics. Wave your flags. Yes. Lindsay, you have one of those, you know, red, white, and blue stove top hats that, that need to come out. Um, a stove top hat? A stove top hat? <laughs> <laughs> stove top hat. You know, the, right? Isn't, the isn't number just, one? Is it called a stove top hat? Isn't it just called a top hat? No, no. The, the, this called the, the, tall the tall one, one is called a stovetop hat. Man, I'm gonna Uncle dude, Sam's hat. This is news to me. I think we need to move on before we lose our listeners. All right, we'll let, we'll let Brent uh, confirm or deny. Stovepipe, stove, stovepipe hat. There you go. That's that's what I meant. The tall kind of Victorian era hat. Yep. We're all here with you. Well, anyways, because we can't go anywhere else. <laughs> that's right. So, people, we are excited about this week of podcasting. It is good to be back uh, with you and with one another. We are recording a little early uh, in the week this week, so if there's any major news story and you're like, I can't believe you didn't cover that, well, we can't either, but, you know, that's what that's what happens sometimes. So, Lindsay, to get us away from pipes and hats and all kinds of things, tell us what the ERLC has been talking yes. about this week. So, speaking of a stovepipe hat, which is a stovepipe hat, which, for our listeners, is an Uncle Sam hat, that's where you will know what it is. And the only way this relates to what I'm about to share is because it's part of history in the past. And uh, Nathan Finn, who doc, who is known as Dr. Finn, and he is the provost and dean of the university faculty at North Greenville University. He has written one in the first of a series, I hope, that we will be running on our site on uh, Baptist heritage. And listeners, you can help keep my colleagues accountable so that we can uh, make this series robust. And that would be Josh Wester and Alex Ward are going to be two of the contributors coming up to this special series. So um, email them, make sure they follow through with their commitments. But Dr. Finn has written an article titled, Three Reasons Baptists Should Look to John Leland. Are you, did you just crowdsource your editorial authority? (laughs) I did. Because sometimes you just need, you need a little extra help. She's bringing back public shame. (laughs) Yes. 
so anyway, Dr. Finn has written an, a great article as part of our Baptist Heritage series titled Three Reasons Baptists Should Look to John Leland, Religious Liberty, Evangelism, and Biblical Justice. And if you are familiar with the ERLC, we have an office in Washington, D.C. that is called, gentlemen, Leland House. Yes, the Leland House. And we have Leland House Press where we put out some of our publications. We are big fans of John Leland around here and his contribution to Baptist history. And as Dr. Finn says, Baptist history is filled with role models that we need to follow after for the sake of present day faithfulness. John Leland lived from 1754 to 1841. And Dr. Finn says he's He's among one of the most important role models from our history as Baptists. And these are the three reasons that he says contemporary Southern Baptists should look to Leland as a key role model. Religious liberty, personal evangelism, and biblical justice. So I would encourage you to go to our site, check out this article to find out why those three things are so important and why, in particular, we correlate them with John Leland. I don't normally try to interrupt you, Lindsay, when you're going through your um, through your section here, but I'll just say John Leland, like a personal hero to me as I was doing uh, work on my master's thesis for the last couple of years. Uh, he is, to me, the central Baptist figure. He represents what I, ca- what I called in my thesis the mature Baptist perspective on religious liberty, and he was one of the uh, foremost champions of religious liberty at the time of the American founding. And yeah, like if you don't know anything about this guy, or even if you know a lot about this guy, uh, this is a great, simple article for you to go and read and just either gain some appreciation or further that appreciation of John Leland and and what he contributed to the American story on religious liberty. I knew that article was going to give Josh Wester all the feels. I thought maybe he would jump in later and tell us about it, but he was real excited yeah, d- to tell didn't us. Didn't want to stick with the pre-approved format. Uh, <laughs> no. just, just wanted to buck the system. I knew, though. I knew he would be excited. So you should be just as excited. Uh, next up is a development that we— are celebrating and that you should be excited for as well. And this is an explainer written by Ben Harbaugh in our DC office. And it's titled Biden Administration Denominate Ambassador for International Religious Freedom. So this has been a vital position that's been left vacant since the Biden administration took office. And as the article points out, it plays a crucial role in the global religious freedom movement. This position was created by as Ben says, the landmark International Religious Freedom Act of 1998. And under the Trump administration, this ambassadorship was held by former Kansas Governor Sam Brownback. And under his leadership, it it took a more prominent place uh, in U.S. foreign policy than ever before. And I'll just close out by quoting Ben about the importance of this office and this announcement. The IRF office is one of the most effective government institutions for protecting religious minorities around the world, including persecuted Christians. The ERLC will continue to collaborate with leaders in the United States government and the international community to advocate for international religious freedom to remain a top U.S. foreign policy priority. So as you can tell, this is a a very important announcement, something that we are excited about and something that we will continue to work with the U.S. government to promote. And finally, by our policy staff, we have another explainer, which we are excited about. So this is titled, Federal Court Strikes Down Discrimination Against Religious Student Groups on College Campus. 
and I'll read from the beginning of the article. In a unanimous decision, the federal court for the Eighth Circuit held that administrators at the University of Iowa are violating the First Amendment by removing Christian, Muslim, and Sikh student organizations for choosing student leaders who share the group's mission and values. This should be uh, straightforward and a no-brainer. So if you are a Christian organization, obviously you're going to want to bring on leaders who share your convictions, who believe what the Bible teaches. It shouldn't be breaking news that, surprise, uh, say the president of InterVarsity Fellowship holds to the Bible's teaching or holds to the statement of faith of InterVarsity It just makes sense. And the same goes for any other religious group on a university campus. And this was threatened by the University of Iowa, specifically um, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship's leadership was threatened. And this uh, ruling is one that we are thrilled about. It comes in line with other rulings that have safeguarded religious liberty, which is something that we work very hard for. And according to our policy staff in this article, this is the third case of its kind in recent months. And the increase in religious freedom cases communicates um, a couple of important messages. And our policy staff says this. First, an important message is that constitutional rights, such as freedom of speech, freedom of religious exercise, and freedom of association are being challenged frequently, especially on college campuses. And then the second one is that lower courts are following the lead of the current Supreme Court and hearing cases related to these foundational freedoms in effort to clear up any gray areas. So ultimately, this decision affirms students' First Amendment rights while attending public universities and denies leaders of any public institution the ability to define discrimination based on personal views. This is good news for Christians, for people of all faith, and this is good news that we celebrate here at the ERLC. Well, you covered quite a bit there, Lindsay. And uh, since Josh spoke to the the first piece Uh, I'll speak to the last two pieces because they involve religious liberty, which obviously is in our name and is important to us. So the first piece on international religious freedom, uh, this is welcome news from the Biden administration. It comes uh, in the wake of uh, the first ever uh, international religious freedom summit that was convened by the former IRF ambassador, uh, Sam Brownback. And uh, the ERLC, we participated in that. We were a sponsor of it. And we're just thankful uh, that folks from across uh, the uh, religious spectrum can come together and say that international religious freedom is uh, still very important uh, in uh, and to Americans. Uh, And the Biden administration, you know, this is one area where uh, we've continued to see a lot of really good work done. Uh, International, you know, it used to be that internationally, that's that's where politics stopped. Uh, Americans were united in um, our international strategy uh, as it relates to whomever is is in the White House. Not necessarily been the case, um, you know, in recent history, uh, but for international religious freedom, it does seem to be one area where there's a lot of agreement. So for example, you know, the Biden administration has continued what the Trump administration did uh, initially which uh, was to call what is happening to Uyghur Muslims and other religious minorities in China uh, a genocide. And so uh, we are thankful that they are making this a priority so early in the Biden administration. Uh, It just, again, serves the point that uh, international religious freedom is important 
uh, and is with, with just so many conflict zones around the world, uh, whether it's, you know, from, from China to, to honestly to Cuba, we need someone who is charged with watching over that portfolio and stewarding it forward. And so we are hopeful that the Biden administration uh, will, will soon announce someone who uh, is a very serious figure for this, uh, this position. And so, Lindsay, that the third article that you highlighted is very important for religious liberty here at home with this decision coming out of the Eighth Circuit, the Eighth Federal Circuit. So, you know, we're hopeful that this, this decision will send a, a clear message to other public universities and colleges and high school administrators that these institutions uh, where there are students, they, they must remain a place where students learn and share ideas independent from a particular leader's uh, preference. And that is especially so for religious groups that are on these campuses. Um, so uh, we immediately put out an explainer on the Eighth Circuit, and uh, we're hoping that uh, other courts out there will respect this decision and, and follow suit. Some of the pieces that are my favorite that we do here at the ERLC are explainers like this that help me understand what is going on in the midst of public policy in our government, in our culture, uh, because just scrolling through the news, um, maybe I don't have time to to read thoroughly to understand it, or maybe I just don't have uh, the brain power per se or the expertise. So I'm thankful that we get a chance to do this for ourselves, also for our listeners, for you, um, the church, our brothers and sisters, so that we can equip you to live your faith out in your neighborhood, in wherever it is that the Lord has called you. And we're thankful to be able to do that. We have a ton of other great resources on our site, as I always point out. Please go check that out. It's free, and it's meant to assist you as you follow Jesus. But Josh and Brent, for now, that's your look at what's happening at ERLC.com. Hey, thanks, Lindsay. And um, in case our uh, audio producer does just the best job in the world of eliminating all of the distraction there, the building's uh, emergency alarm, it wasn't even the fire alarm. It was like a different kind of alarm went off in the middle of this segment. And uh, Lindsay managed to pull it all back together. So thanks, Mark and Lindsay, for getting us there. And Brent, tell us what's going on, at least so far, in the world of culture this week. All right. Thanks for that, Josh and Lindsay. So for the second week in a row, we're going to talk about one of Josh's favorite subjects, space. Dude, I'm ready to talk about space. Insert the Star Trek music here. So NBC News reports this, that Jeff Bezos, the 57-year-old founder of Amazon, has a new title to add to his resume, astronaut. Bezos successfully flew to the edge of space Tuesday aboard a rocket and capsule developed by his private spaceflight company, Blue Origin. The billionaire entrepreneur made history by being a part of the first unpiloted suborbital flight with an all-civilian crew. The much-anticipated trip was also the first crewed launch for Blue Origin's New Shepard rocket. They launched around 9.11 a.m. Eastern Time from a site in the West Texas desert. And after it, at, once they reached an altitude of 250,000 feet, the capsule separated, taking Bezos and his crew to the edge of space. The craft then descended under parachutes and landed again in the Texas desert. The entire flight rest lasted roughly t 10 minutes. That's it. <laughs> 10 minutes. And so I did want to quibble with this. Like he got like a astronaut pin. So, I mean, I guess you get that for, for going into space, but 
I'm glad you said this because there when was, you said he's got a new title, astronaut, I'm like, can you really be called an astronaut if you just went to the edge of space? He he did. He really did no formal training. It was completely autonomous. It was controlled by computers and operators on the ground. So it's not like they had to like operate any, you know, sophisticated, you know, pilot stuff. <laughs> I, it was a fully autonomous flight. It was controlled by computers and operators on the ground. I'm, I'm just, I, I'm very skeptical of him getting to be called an astronaut, especially since there was another individual on the flight. Uh, Wally Funk is her name. She's an 82-year-old woman, so she now becomes, she actually holds a legitimate title, the oldest person to ever uh, enter space. And she actually went through astronaut training because back in the 60s, I believe it was, she wanted to pursue uh, a career as an astronaut. So she actually went through that. My sense is if anyone is going to get the title astronaut, it actually should be Mrs. Funk. But uh, anyways, what what say y'all about uh, Jeff Bezos being one of the newest individuals to be called astronaut. Yeah, I'm thumbs down on calls, calling Bezos an astronaut, though I am grateful for his uh, significant financial investment in furthering space exploration. I think that to be an astronaut, uh, here's my hot take, you either need to help pilot the craft uh, with some kind of expert knowledge, not like when I let my kids drive my car around my neighborhood because they're sitting in my lap and I'm really doing all the driving. You either need to help pilot the, the, the spacecraft or you need to perform some kind of indispensable or critical function as a part of the mission. Right. Because if we all end up going to space, like in five years, Lindsay, so just get ready, we're just going to be passengers. We're, we're, we're going to be tourists, which, right, isn't isn't that actually the point of this is space tourism? Like that's actually what they're planning to do. It's not like it's going to get me to the other side of the world in, in record time. It's actually just going to take me up into – take Lindsay up into – Into the stratosphere. Right. And then, and then we come back down 10 minutes later. Right. Is that the whole point? You just go up to I mean, the edge and then come back down. I, I think so, which which then begs the question, is is this actually pointless? It's just the world's <laughs> greatest roller coaster. Yeah, I guess so. Well, listen, I don't know. And most he, expensive. Yes. That's right. <laughs> the, which is what I think the purpose of this is. Very, very rich men figuring out ways to spend their money. But I can tell you the title that I would like to have that I would add to my resume, and that is the founder of Amazon, because then <laughs> I would be a billionaire just like Jeff Bezos, and y'all would be talking about me on this show. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. So, I mean, look, it is a scientific achievement. It's the first time that uh, civilians have uh, really gone into, I guess, that deep into space. Uh, Richard Branson and uh, his colleagues that went up last week uh, – they went up at a slightly lower altitude, but um, you know it, it, these are these are certainly historic moments. I I, I just don't know that uh, a billionaire who happened to ride along in the capsule needs to be called an astronaut. No, it's founder, financier, <laughs> right? But exactly passenger, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on to to slightly more serious stuff. So the U.S. Capitol is unfortunately the the scene of an outbreak. And I, I say this as someone who's about to travel there. <laughs> uh, ABC News is reporting this. A fully vaccinated spokesperson for House Speaker Nancy Pelosi tested positive for COVID-19 this week after interacting with several infected Texas Democratic state legislators who have traveled to the Capitol. At least six of the more than 50 Texas Democrats 
who fled Austin last week to block dual Republican-backed bills that would revise the state's voting and election laws, have tested positive for COVID. The infections prompted a flurry of contact tracing on Capitol Hill and at the White House, where they have met with legislators and senior administration officials, including Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh, so this is, A, that this is terrible optics uh, for these Democrats who have, have left Texas in the midst of, of their legislative session. But, uh, I mean, th- it has, unfortunately, real-world consequences uh, because they, they are spreading COVID. So... Not good. And again, I'm getting ready to board a flight and head there. And this all comes as a COVID wave is hitting people who haven't been vaccinated especially hard. ABC News is reporting this, that as top health officials warn that COVID-19 has become a, quote, pandemic of the unvaccinated, recent figures from states and cities throughout the U.S. reveal the extent to which the virus is impacting, Josh, not, not affecting, People who are not fully inoculated. New COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations were also predominantly among unvaccinated people, the state said, uh, at 95% and 93% respectively. That's taking place in Louisiana. Other states have reported similar findings while urging people to get vaccinated as the more transmissible Delta variant is driving up COVID-19 cases across the country. Yeah, so I can't believe we're still talking about COVID, but we are. And so here's the thing. If you're going to do a PR stunt, try to make sure that you're not infecting people uh, with a virus that you're very much against. And also, um, look, if you haven't been vaccinated yet, we've made our very best appeal to you to get vaccinated. But, you know, maybe, maybe this will maybe this will do it for you just to say that those who are having the hardest time and really it's almost isolated to those people uh, who, who are not yet vaccinated. So we would just say uh, take the vaccine. It's been great for all of us. And um yeah, I, I honestly live my life totally without fear because even if I were to contract COVID, I have every reason to expect it would be incredibly mild. And I have a friend who is vaccinated who did uh, contract COVID and he is faring very well. And I, I think that's largely because he has the vaccine. Right. And because you can um, contract COVID while being vaccinated doesn't mean the vaccines aren't working. You know, right. The risk of contracting it is very low. Um, it, they are meant to prevent death and hospitalization and severe illness. You know, I this is going to be endemic now. I was reading something on Twitter the other day. You know, we're going to have COVID with us probably the rest of our lives because of how exactly it was handled. Of course, I'm no expert, but it's going to be around. But the quickest way to mitigate it and its effect on, on everyone is to get the vaccine. And again, I'm thankful that we have the technology and the people working so hard um, to develop these vaccines and to care for people in hospitals. So get ready, people. I don't know what the fall is going to hold, but so far it is not looking pretty. All right. Well, as we previewed earlier, let's now move into our Olympics section. So the Olympics begin... Uh, They actually have begun, but the opening ceremonies take place this Friday, and uh, just because of the time zone difference, uh, we all will see it in in prime time on NBC. Uh, But do y'all just love that we are into this season? We missed it last year. They're back. How are y'all feeling about it? I'm pumped. I love the Olympics. I am skeptical of what it's going to be like with no audience. I cannot <laughs> right. imagine yeah. how enjoyable it's going to be for the the participants. So we'll see. But I I love the Olympics. 
also love the Olympics. Uh, I feel like I want to just quote Ricky Bobby right now and, and say, you're wrecking my life because it is really uh, disappointing to uh, not do these incredible feats that you train your whole whole lives for uh, in front of a real live audience. But guess what? Some Olympics are better than no Olympics. That's exactly right. Well, so before we get all jazzed up, uh, one of the top Olympics officials has said this week that the games may still be canceled. So Reuters is reporting this. Um, the chief of the Tokyo 2020 Organizing Committee on Tuesday did not rule out canceling the Olympics if COVID-19 cases spiked as more athletes tested positive for the virus and sponsors ditched plans to attend Friday's opening ceremony. Asked at a news conference if the global sporting showpiece might still be canceled, Toshiro Muto said he would keep an eye on infection numbers and liaise with other organizers if necessary. Quote, we will continue discussions if there is a spike in cases, said Muto. Quote, we have agreed that based on the coronavirus situation, we will convene five-party talks again. At this point, the coronavirus cases may rise or fall, so we will think about what we should do when the situation arises. Uh, that That's not the most encouraging answer you want if you're looking for, absolutely, we are moving forward to the Olympics now that all these thousands of athletes uh, are here in Tokyo. But um, that's just the reality there. And cases are going up in Japan, which does have uh, a fairly low vaccination rate. So this is this is certainly something to keep an eye on. I mean, gosh, I, I, I really hope they're able to move forward with it, but you just uh, you just don't know. The 2020 games will actually be, should they take place uh, for the, the full time, they will be the largest ever. So Axios is reporting this, the Tokyo Olympics will feature six new or returning sports, giving this year's games a record 41 disciplines and 339 gold medal possibilities. Returning this year are baseball, yay, America's pastime. I'm excited. I don't know about y'all. And softball. New uh, also for these games are surfing, skateboarding, sport climbing. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> is that like parkour? <laughs> I don't know. Sport climbing, sports and, ball. And karate. Uh, the backdrop. In, in 2014, Axios reports the IOC gave organizing committees the ability to propose new sports for inclusion. And Tokyo's committee was the first to have this opportunity. And in 2016, the IOC greenlit every proposal. So I was really sad to see that the baseball hasn't been in there uh, for the previous Olympics. So I was really excited to, to bring it back. But yeah, some of these new sports, I, I don't really know what they are. But apparently they're, they're big. They're big rage with all the, the kids. And that's really the demographic that they're going at. Well, I know this is a winter Olympic sport, but what is the one with like the ice and like the broom or whatever? And you're like, Trying to push curling. the curling. curling yeah, yes. but that, yes. that's not here. That, that'll come next year. When I said it's a winter right. sport, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was referring to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so bring it up for, for really no reason, actually. It's just it's, it's just a thing, man. <laughs> Associate with the Olympics. Like, I watch a bunch of things I understand, and then things like curling or fencing, uh, and I have no idea what's happening. Yeah. One of my favorites to glance at, not necessarily watch, is power walking. Because... It's That's an Olympic a, sport. It is, and oh, it's man. quite impressive. I could never walk that fast. It looks utterly painful. Spent, I, I'm under. Uh, I'm just really at a deficit when it comes to my Olympics knowledge because I've never watched power walking as an event. Well, <laughs> there was a trampoline jumping at one point, wasn't well, there? They might still have it. I, I, yeah, no, I think it was like part of a, like a gymnastics type thing, right? No, you jump on the trampoline and do tricks. Well, I know, but I think isn't that a part of the larger like gymnastics? I, I have, I don't know. 
You yeah, have to find I, out I and tell us next either. time. The, the 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 games that I'm most interested in is actually badminton. Like badminton's highly underrated. Badminton is that know? where you catch it with a net? Oh, oh wow! Wow! <laughs> badminton's ping pong. With a no, no, no. It, it's tennis <laughs> it's for tennis. people of my age and athletic really? ability. <laughs> really, it's tennis. No. It's not pickleball. No, it's not pickleball. Pickleball is its own thing. Does yeah, badminton pickleball. have that thing? Yes, the ball it's the birdie. With the, the, thing, the birdie. Yeah, the birdie. Net it's got the, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, the yeah, ball yeah. with the net. Okay, around. that's right. <laughs> this is this is really what people tune in for. Right. Uh, so uh, moving on, and America. So the games have actually started, and America has opened the games with a complete disaster. <laughs> Uh, Axios is reporting this. The U.S. women's soccer team lost 3-0 to Sweden on Wednesday in the team's first appearance in the group stage of the 2020 Olympics. The stunning defeat, now get this, marks the first loss for the U.S. team in 44 matches. The first loss under their new head coach, and it raises the stakes for the next two games if the U.S. team wants to get out of Group G where it is. I can't say what uh, their star, Megan Rapinoe, said for this podcast, but needless to say, she said that they got beat very handily. Uh, The game was played before a near-empty stadium. Uh, It marked the first Olympics event to take place in the host city of Tokyo. Only a few dozen credentialed reporters and others were in the stands uh, to watch the match. Uh, This is is not how you want to start your Olympics gold medal dreams. I, I, there's enough talent with the team, I'm, I'm sure, to rally. But, man, that's this not how you want to begin. Talk about it. I mean, they blew a 44-game winning streak. What a—I mean, first of all, first we, should be, we, two years. We, we should be impressed that they have won that's 44 true. games in yeah, a row right. and be grateful for— But this is when it really matters. I mean, the Olympics is— Yeah, I mean— I guess the World Cup, they, they would say the World I Cup. I don't know what Group G is, but I hope they get out of Group G. Let's just say that. <laughs> no, right. <laughs> that's just the, the, yes. the, predict- the actual group they've been placed in. You have one job when you go to the Olympics, and that's— And win. win gold medals. That's yeah. right. That's, <laughs> man. that's right. <laughs> Very Chinese authoritarian viewpoint to take. <laughs> but no, that's true. We, we, we are— we're America. We're Americans. We like to win. That's right. All right. All right. And finally, to round out the culture section, the Milwaukee Bucks have won the NBA championship. Uh, CNN is reporting this. With the Milwaukee Bucks seeking their first NBA championship in 50 years, their superstar guided the way, putting up 50 points in a legendary NBA Finals clinching win Tuesday night against the Phoenix Suns, led by their MVP, Named Giannis, I cannot say his last name. Uh, he's from Greece. Which is why everybody kept calling him Giannis. <laughs> That's exactly why they call him Giannis. So I really apologize because I, I should know how to say that name. But it is really intimidating to see in print. But uh, he also had 14 rebounds and five block shots. And the Bucks pulled away from the Suns to win 105-98 to 98 in a raucous five-serve forum there in Milwaukee. So... This is actually pretty awesome. It's their first appearance in the final since 1974. That's a long drought. So uh, big props to them for bringing home the championship there in Milwaukee. As our former colleague said, a lot of cheese curds and bratwurst being consumed in Milwaukee tonight. Well, and probably other things too, but I'm a Baptist. (laughs) You got to love Dan Darling. (laughs) (laughs) You just have to love Dan Darling. Lots of cheese curds being consumed in Milwaukee in celebration. Yeah, man, a championship uh, for the first time in 50 years is a huge deal. And um, my social media feeds went absolutely crazy. I'm not going to lie. I did not watch uh, the NBA Finals this year. I do often, but 
for whatever reason, I was just able to let it go. Uh, maybe it's because I was looking forward to the Olympics. Who knows? There you go. Absolutely. Well, Josh, Lindsay, that's your look at This Week in Culture. So now it's time for the lunchroom, where every week we tell you about the things that we've been talking about with one another. Brent, you're up first this week because you got to get out of here. So tell us what's on your mind. So friend of the podcast, uh, David French, uh, he's got a column that he writes over at the Dispatch Media called French Press. And David recently took a look at the disturbing uh, and precipitous decline of close friendships, uh, especially for for men in American life. And he was just exploring all the various ways that this is affecting our culture. And what started it is there was a recent essay uh, in the week by columnist Damon Linker. And, and that's really what got uh, David exploring this. And um, just some of the things that he put in here, it, the, the piece is called The Politics of Loneliness is Totalitarian. Damon looked at the rising rates of friendlessness and came to this conclusion. Friendlessness provides a potent sociological explanation for why our politics have become much more polarized in recent decades. And David points this out, that uh, even if we are wealthy and strong, like we are here in America, we still need friendships, like we need water and air. And he points out that, as Damon notes, when Americans lose rich friendships, one gains in real world, uh, in the real world, through shared lives, including shared hardship and shared suffering. We seek to fill the void through affinity or factional friendships that, in our present age, often start online. And what the reason I'm just thinking through this and processing this is because, gosh, what a real opportunity for the church. We need to bear one another's burdens. I say that often. I love that verse from Galatians six. But like that is that is truly where people can come together and share their successes and wins and celebrate those things and also share their hardships and and that that sort of community, that sort of biblical community where we come together uh, and the only thing that truly unites us is a is a belief in Jesus. Uh, that that's just that's just something beautiful about the church. And gosh, the the church needs to be providing that for this society right now, this polarized society that we're living in, where nobody can agree on much of anything. Um, but if the church can show a way forward and and say that, hey, we're united under grace and provide an alternative uh, to to some of some of the bleakness that some of these studies are showing recently, gosh, what an opportunity for the church. Yeah, I could not agree more, Brent. And uh, by the way, if you're not a subscriber to that David French uh, newsletter, uh, he has a free one that comes out every Sunday as part of his work at the Dispatch, and you should subscribe. It is, uh, it is always worth reading. And usually, I mean, it's almost like a, a routine thing where on Sunday somebody will text me David French's newsletter, and I just want to say I subscribe. I get these every Sunday, but uh, that's because they're so good, and it's worth and it's worth doing. Especially, uh, you can even go back and, and read uh, the one that Brent is referring to here. It's linked to in our show notes. You know, and it's this is an opportunity for the church. It's also a challenge for the church that, that a lot of people within the church, a lot of believers, whether it's because of um, just the individualistic nature of our society or the way that um, we function, whatever it is, I don't really know exactly what it is, but it's still a struggle and it's something we have to pray about and fight for. I've experienced that in my own life. Okay, well, so on to a lighter subject now for my lunchroom. So the way that Brent does this podcast and talks with kind of an NPR announcer's voice 
reminded me of an oldie but a goodie, but it's not an oldie because it's currently a show. It, it is a it's a radio program. It's an NPR radio program called Wait Wait Don't Tell Me, which I often call What What Say What because my husband Justin introduced me to this when we were dating. We would listen to it and it's funny. We would laugh, but I forgot the name of it, and so I would call it What What Say What. Uh, and so it's an it's an hour long weekly news radio panel show, but usually there are comedians on it. So it's a funny show, and then they. They share the news by, uh, they have people call in and and they take these quizzes and do these fake news stories and you have to guess which one's real. And it's hosted by, I almost said Peter Seeger, Sager, isn't that the lead singer of some band? But his, his name is Peter Seagal, uh, is the host. So I would highly recommend it. They have a lot of celebrity hosts on there too that come in, like Tom Hanks and others. But it's a, it's a, fun and fascinating show that I would highly recommend to add to your podcast regiment. I mean, if it had Steven Seagal, I mean, count me in. Pre-Russia Steven Seagal? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's actually true. Oh. And, you know, you talk about my, what are you saying about Josh's voice? I don't know what you mean. But by the way, Peter Seeger is who I was Your whole lead-in there was about my NPR voice. What, what about Josh's? Well, Josh's voice hasn't reminded me of something yet. But oh. when it does, I'll be sure to put it in the lunchroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds great. Uh, sticking with the theme of shows, uh, and I'm actually only doing this to troll my friend who's sitting uh, right in front of us in the lobby, uh, Jonathan Howe, who is one of the uh, two-part duo that every duo has two parts. That's hilarious. Um <laughs> But anyway, he is is one of a two-man team uh, with Amy Whitfield, who hosts the SBC This Week podcast. And it's a really great podcast uh, for—it kind of does some of the inside baseball of SBC life. But honestly, if you're just curious about the Southern Baptist Convention or if you are a Southern Baptist and want to know more about what's going on, uh, it comes out every Friday. It's got a roundup uh, of—I think they call it like news and events around the SBC. But in any case, it is really, really well done. They've been doing it for several years now. And just want to commend it to you. If you're interested in Southern Baptist life, it covers all things Southern Baptist and they do a really great job. They're great friends of us here at the ERLC, and we're incredibly grateful for them. We are. We're, we are lucky enough. Of course, we don't say lucky, right? We're blessed enough. We're blessed and fortunate. <laughs> yes, fortunate enough to have Jonathan Howe reside in the same building as us, though we don't often see him. He's out and about doing his thing. Well, he's a man about town. He's That's just... right. And Amy Whitfield, who was here in the office for just a little bit, and now she's moved on to a great new opportunity at the Summit Church Uh, But they are just gifted and talented, and we are thankful for their contribution, especially to this Southern Baptist Convention. Absolutely. Well, that's going to do it for the show today. As always, I want to say thanks so much for listening. We love spending time with you each and every week as we walk through what's going on at the ERLC and out there in the world. Uh, If you like the podcast and want to to help spread the word, uh, please consider going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating or review, or you can share the episode on social media. But for Brent and Lindsay and myself, we want to say thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to being back with you next week with more content. 